Hey everyone, thank you for joining me today for the Modern Heathen Man. Today is going to be a really special Modern Heathen Man. I'm going to go ahead and read um, what I put together on death and dying <clears throat> and what is believed by heathenry to be the actual idea of afterlife. Um, a lot of people consistently talk about Valhalla and how they're going there and they'll see people there and so on and so forth. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but what I want to do is I want to dispel the ideas of what actually happens when we die, that everyone goes to Valhalla, because that's not absolutely true. Um, so I'm going to deal with that a little bit today. It's a really long thing that I put together. Um, it's really in-depth, and it really discusses what the beliefs are, what is believed to happen, who controls each end of that, where we go, what we do, and a little bit of what's there and what we can expect. So we'll go over that today, talk some about that and some other stuff, um, and really just figure out what happens when we die. So before we do that, <clears throat> I want to open this morning with my normal morning prayer and go from there. So gods and goddesses, Aesir and Vanir, thank you for the blessings you have given me. Thank you for being with me. I ask you to continue to bless me and be by my side. I ask you to help me to face the decrees of the Norns with courage, honor, and frith. And I ask you to help me to do the best that I can for my faith, ancestors, family, and kindred this day and every day and always. Grant me wisdom, honor, strength, and frith to continue to bring honor to you and to my ancestors. Hail the gods. Today we're hailing Sunni because it is Sunni's day. And let's remember Sunni and the ride around the earth that they do each and every day for us. And carrying the sun that brings us nourishment. So when I come back, we'll definitely talk about the afterlife, death, and what is believed by the Norse in our religion and what it says to us about death and dying. So grab yourself a horn, grab yourself a cup. Today it's cold in Alabama, so I'm drinking a cup of Earl Grey tea. And just join me for Modern Heathen Man. I'll see you in a moment. Joe here from the Modern Heathen Man. I was looking for some new stuff for my beard, and I was looking around, and I wanted something my wife would like as well. I was looking for a good product that didn't leave my beard feeling greasy, that nourished it and kept it moist, and had a good scent to it as well. Um, so in discussing with my wife, we tried a few different things, and I found this wonderful heathen place called Beast Curiosities. Now, they don't just offer beard oil. They have quite a few different products available through them. Um, you definitely want to go ahead and check them out at BeastCuriosities.com. But I specifically tried the beard oil. Um, I tried Hell's Respite. I tried Tears Loyalty. And I tried, give me one second, Yord's Wilderness. All of these were really great beard oils. They all had wonderful scents that lasted a long time and would stay with me throughout the whole day. They nourished my beard and kept it good. And they also made it that it felt nice and was good to smell. And other people around me liked it quite a bit. So when you actually get in their oils, they try really hard to produce an oil that does what it says it's going to do while nourishing your beard as well. They tried a few products so they got the great one together and they call it their magical beard oil i will tell you it is magical it smells great even after going to the pool with my wife for about three hours my beard still smelled great and felt great so with that said i'm going to tell you to go ahead and check them out again they're not only beard oil but beast curiosity is a place you want to go beastcuriosities.com you can also email him and check out his products at beast at beastcuriosities.com. They have a Twitter account at BS Curiosities, and you can also find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash beastcuriosities. You definitely want to go out and get some of this if you have a beard 
It is a wonderful product, something great to use. My wife and her friends all love this product quite a bit. So go ahead and get it if you get a chance, guys. It's a wonderful product. Thank you, guys, and have a great day. So let us delve right in. Um, I'm going to read the paper as I wrote it. So I apologize if I'm reading a little fast for some people. I'll try to slow down as much as I can to go ahead and make sure I get all the information in. So where do we go when we shake this mortal coil? The answer is truly as complicated as the question. In Asachu, we are to honor the dead and the gone, ancestors and warriors. But where are they? Can they see us? And can they join in? We will look at this very answer here. How do you get to each place is up to you and the gods in the end and almost a lottery system. The truth I feel is in the end. I trust I will end up where I am to be and where I belong. Death and the afterlife. The Viking religion, or Satru as we know it, never contained any formal doctrine concerning what happens to someone when he or she dies. In the words of the historian H.R. Ellis Davidson, there is no consistent picture in Norse literature or literary traditions of the fate of the dead, and to oversimplify the position would be to falsify it. The rational order that people today open naively insist on finding in the Viking portrayals of the dead simply isn't there in the sources. That is the idea that everyone goes to Valhalla. Nevertheless, the picture represents represented to us by archaeology and the old Norse literary sources isn't complete. There are discernible patterns in the way the Norse conceived of death and the afterlife, even though those patterns don't hold absolutely true, and the details of what one source tells us are almost inevitably contradicted by another source. So we have the lands of the dead. Spiritual parts of the dead were usually thought to end up in a spiritual other world of some sort or another with some expectations that we'll explore below in a little bit here. So also one of the things you have to remember is that the Norse did not separate the person from the soul, just to be clear on that. The most famous of these dwelling places, the dead is undoubtedly Valhalla, the old Norse Valhall, the hall of the fallen. Um, their splendid hall of the god Odin, those chosen by Odin and his Valkyries live there as celebrated heroes until they're called upon to fight by Odin's side in the doomed battle at Ragnarok, the downfall of the gods and the rest of the universe. The goddess Freya is said to welcome some of the dead into her hall, Folkvanger, or Old Norse Folkvener, the field of the people or the field of warriors. Unfortunately, Folkvang is mentioned so sparsely in the sources that we today don't have any idea what it was thought to be like. Those who died at sea, not an uncommon way to go in seafaring cultures like that of the Norse or the Vikings, are sometimes, but not always, said to be taken to the underwater abode of the giantess Ran. But the afterlife world to which the dead are most commonly portrayed is going to hell, a world beneath the ground presided over by a goddess who is also named Hell, in addition to this concept of a general underworld, people from particular families and localities are sometimes depicted as remaining together, in particular places close to where they lived while they were alive, underneath a specific mountain for existence, for example. And what do the dead do in hell or the local variations thereof? They typically eat, drink, carouse, fight, sleep, practice magic, and generally do all the things that we do. Um, on a daily basis or in part of our life are the things that the Norse age men and women did. The lines between those various abodes of the dead are quite blurry, and there's no consistent picture of who decides where a particular person goes after death or how the decision is made. An oft-repeated line is that those who die in battle are thought to go to Valhalla, whereas those who die of other, more peaceful causes go to hell leaving aside the fact that this excludes all the other places to which the dead are thought to potentially go, 
This artificially tidy distinction was first made by Snorri Storlson, a historian writing in the 13th century, many generations after the pre-Christian Norse religion had ceased to be a living tradition. Snorri is known for attempting to impose a systemization in his source material that isn't always present in his sources, many of which we too possess, and this seems to be another instance of that tendency. Snorri himself blatantly contradicts his distinction between Valhalla and Hell. In one substantial account of Hell, he provides the tale of the death of Baldur, Odin's son, who was killed violently and is nevertheless uh, born to Hell. Nor the source makes this distinction, and several contradict it, which means that this snug way of differentiating between who ended up in Hell versus Valhalla is surely an invention of Snorri's. Not only is it ultimately impossible to establish a neat seat of criteria for how the dead, or the dead end up where they do, it's also impossible to cleanly differentiate these places themselves from one another. For example, Valhalla is often depicted as a realm where distinguished warriors engage in a continuous battle, and just such a place is described, an important early source as being located beneath the ground. And intriguingly, without the name Valhalla, anywhere in the account, furthermore, the very name Valhol, the Hall of the Fallen, clearly seems related to the name Valhalla, the Rock of the Fallen, a title given to certain rocks and hills where the dead were thought to dwell in southern Sweden, one of the greatest historical centers of the worship of Odin. So are we to conclude that Valhalla is simply one particular part of hell rather than an independent realm on its own? Let's not jump to conclusions here. It's elsewhere described as being a part of Asgard, the celestial realm of the gods. So we, we have to look at where it is. So we're not sure where it actually is at to even know what part of the afterlife we go to in it. So we'll touch a little bit on rebirth. Some sources also speak of the dead being reborn in one of their descendants, although never in someone outside of their family line. Here as well, the sources are very unclear as to how exactly this would happen, but oftentimes the dead person is reincarnated in someone who is named after him or her within their family line or within their specific area. It's sometimes, it's sometimes impossible to distinguish between deceased human ancestors and elves in Old Norse literature to the point that it would be amiss to speak of part of the dead human becoming an elf in some cases. One example is, comes from the saga of Olaf the Holy, one of the first Christian kings of Norway. Olaf and a servant ride past the burial mound of the king's ancestor and namesake who is now called by the name of Ulfur Gierstathlafur, literally Olaf the Elf of Gierstad, a title that clearly implies the current elfin state of the king's forefather. The same passage also insinuates that King Olaf is the reincarnation of the deceased Olaf, showing that the dead could be thought to have multiple fates simultaneously. So, in other words, like a split soul, they will split your soul into two different places. There's not necessarily a contradiction in this particular point, since such a scenario would be logically impossible in the Norse view of the self having multiple spiritual parts. One of the things I really enjoy about the afterlife story when it comes to Norse ideals is that there's no reward or punishment you just basically go. We look at Valhalla as a reward, and but there's no punishment. So today, many people who believe in the afterlife think of it as a reward or punishment for one's moral or ideological choices during life. The Norse held no such conception. The idea of salvation and damnation were alien to their earthly worldview. Thus, people who search for heaven or hell amongst the Norse dwelling places of the dead, hell being H-E-L-L -L rather than H-E-L, are going to come up empty-handed. 
the word H-E-L-L and hell come from the same Germanic root, but the names and substantian locations are the only thing the two concepts have in common. There is one late Old Norse poem that mentions the place of punishment after death, Nastrond, or Old Norse Nastrondr, shore of the corpses, is it in English. Its gate faces north, poison drips from its ceilings, and snakes coil on its floor. Schnorri cites this poem in his work too, but the poem in question, Volspa, is rife with Christian influences, given how anarchist Narstrand is amongst the other Norse ideas of what happened to a person after death. It is too surely derived from Christian depictions of hell. Anachronistic Nostrand, pardon me. So we have to look at a couple different things there. This is the beginning of just understanding how a lot of these things contradict themselves. A lot of these things are different than what we believe them to be. So when we come back, I'm going to discuss a little bit about Valhalla or Valhol, and uh, we'll go over that, and I'll see you in a moment. Joe here from the Modern Heathen Man. How are you guys tonight? I hope I'm meeting you well. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys, while I'm out traveling, it's not always feasible to carry my whole big altar box with me. So sometimes I like a little something in my pocket. And I found a great place to get that from. That's Odin's Beard Woodworking. Great little place out there. It makes small little pocket altars for you with candles and um, gods and everything in them, little sayings and such wonderful work that this man does cars everything by hand he has a couple things going on here he has little pocket altars that i'm talking about for 25 dollars. he has small DE poles of five to six inches for 40 dollars seven to eight inches for 45 9 to 10 for 50 and 11 to 12 for 60. he has 26 different deities to choose from and more coming every day your choices right now are odin thor Tyr, loki Freyr. Balder, Bragi, Hamdal, Njord, Fenrir, Ullr, Vidar, Hermod, Hel, Freya, Ostri, Skadi, Sif, Er, Frigg, Var, Thrud, Idun, Sigun, Ran, and Njord. That's a lot of different gods to choose from. So he can meet anybody's needs. Tell him what you want. You can go ahead and find him at www.odin's beardwoodworking.com he also has a facebook page and i know he does some stuff live every once in a while that you can actually watch him carve those things anyway give him a good uh, look see there and see if he has something that you can use i guarantee his little pocket ultras will come in handy for you so anyway thanks guys have a great night bye-bye Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. I am back and I want to thank you for taking the time to join me today. Just had a sip of my tea and I'm really enjoying it. So let's talk about Valhalla. Valhalla, Old Norse Valhalla, the Hall of the Fallen, is the hall where the god Odin houses the dead whom he deems worthy of dwelling with him. According to the Old Norse poem Grimsmal, Grimnismal, pardon me, the Song of the Hood one, the roof of the gold-bright Valhalla is made of shields and has spears as rafters. Seats made of breastplates surround the many feasting tables of the vast hall. Its gates are guarded by wolves, and eagles fly above it. The dead who reside in Valhalla, the Einherjar as we know them, live a life that would have been the envy of any Viking warrior of its time, or any warrior in general. All day long, they fight one another, doing countless valorous deeds along the way. But every evening, all their wounds are healed, and they are restored to full health. They surely work up quite an appetite from all of those battles, and their dinner doesn't disappoint either. Their meat comes from the boar, Sehramir, 
Sremrimnir, sorry, Old Norse Sremnir, whose meaning is unknown, who comes back to life every time he is slaughtered and butchered for their drink. They have mead that comes from the udder of the goat Hydrun, whose meaning is also unknown. They thereby enjoy an endless supply of their exceptionally fine food and drink. They are waited on by the beautiful Valkyries. But the Einherjard don't live this charmed life forever. Valhalla's battle, honed residents are there by the will of Odin, who collect them from the perfectly self selfish purpose of having them to come to his aid. As his fated struggle against Wolf Fenrir during Ragnarok, a battle in which Odin and the Einherjar are doomed to die. So we see these people battling and having a great battle, almost like LARPing, but with real death and everything else, doing great valorous deeds and everything all day long. And then they go and they have a great supper every night, and they're all healed, and the next morning they do the same thing. Not to sound selfish or anything, but that does not sound like my kind of happiness. Also knowing as a Einherjar that Wendy will be called upon to battle your hardest to defend the gods against the inevitable death of them is kind of almost sad. That's the way I look at it. It's almost sad. So now how did one get entrance to Valhalla? The only source that provides a direct statement about how people gain entrance to Valhalla is the Prosetta of Snorri Sturluson. 13th century Icelandic scholar, Snorri wrote many generations after Norse paganism had given way to Christianity and ceased to be a living tradition, and he often went out of his way to artificially systemize the desperate material in which his sources, many of which are we too possess. According to Snorri, those who die in battle are taken to Valhalla, while those who die of sickness or old age themselves in hell are find themselves in hell the underworld, after the departure from the land of the living. Yet Snorri blatantly contradicts this statement in his account of the tale of the death of Baldur, which we went over, who was killed violently and was nevertheless born to hell. No other source makes this distinction, and several offer further examples to the contrary, some of which we'll explore below. This neat, tidy description between Hell and Valhalla is certainly an invention of Snorri's, a product of a tendency to attempt to systemize Norse paganism, which was never a neat, tidy system to begin with, while it was still in practice. So, Snorri probably wasn't entirely off base, while entrance of Valhalla seems to have ultimately been a matter of who Odin and his Valkyries chose to live there rather than any particular impersonal standards. I think it seems reasonable to surmise that Odin would select those who would serve him best in his final battle, like the best of this warrior, the best of that warrior. Um, the ranks of Valhalla would therefore predominantly be filled with elite warriors, moreover, especially heroes and rulers, and indeed, when Old Norse sources mention particular people residing in Valhalla, they almost inevitably fit that description, along with elite practitioners of other roles that the Hall of Viking Age chieftains would have contained, such as the poet Bragi. Where was Valhalla located is the good question. The most famous de description of Valhalla in Old Norse literature, that in Grimnismal portrays it as being located in Asgard, the god's celestial fortress. So somewhere in Asgard is Valhalla, they say. However, the other lines of the evidence suggest that it was less sometimes seen as being located underground like the more general underworld. As we've noted above, the continual battle that takes place in Valhalla is one of the places to find are defining features. The medieval Danish historian Saxo Grammaticus describes the hero hadding discovering just such a place in the underworld. Furthermore, the very name Valhol, the Hall of the Fallen, clearly seems related to the name Valhur, the Rock of the Fallen, a title given again to the certain rocks or hills where the dead were thought to dwell in southern Sweden. Uh, it was a great place of Odin worship there in Sweden. 
So then where is Valhalla located depends on which source you consult or believe in or want to um, follow more depthly. Eventually, um, the Norse perceived no absolutely firm difference between Valhalla and the other halls of the dead. So you have to make your own decision again. This is the best part about being heathen, about being a Satru, is that it requires you to consult your ancestors, for you to consult the gods, for you to learn yourself what the answers are. And that's one of the best things I love about being a heathen is that I can search out those answers myself and get answers for myself from the gods directly. Let's talk a little bit about hell. H-E-L, the underworld. Hemdall's desires to return to Idun from the underworld by Emil Doppler in 1881. Hell, Old Norse, hidden, pronounced like the English word hell, H-E-L-L, is the most general name for the underworld where many of the dead dwell. It's presided over by a fearsome goddess whose name is also hell, H-E-L, Occasionally, it is also referred to as Helheim, the realm of hell. Although this is much more common in the secondary literature than the Old Norse primary sources. Like physical graves, hell was thought to be located underground. Some source also places it in the north, the direction which is cold and dark like the grave. A dog is sometimes said to guard its entrance, much like Cerberus of the Greek mythology. So let's talk about a little bit about what hell actually is. If we look at that poem that I mentioned, Hemdall desires the return of Idun from the underworld um, from 1881, we can learn a little bit about hell. The name of hell and hell, the Christian realm of eternal suffering ruled over by Satan, comes from the same root in the Proto-Germanic language, which is an ancestor of both Old Norse and by Old English, Modern English, that common root has been constructed by modern scholars as Haljo, H-A-L-J-O, concealed place is its meaning. The word stemming from Haljo seems to have been used to denote the underworld in virtually all Germanic languages. Uh, we modern English speakers call the Christian concept of land of damnation hell, because the concept was called hell or helly, H-E-L or H-E-L-L-E in Old English, presumably um, originally referred to the same kind of Germanic pagan underworld as the Norse hell. The Christian missionaries to the Anglo-Saxons used the closest word they could find in Old English to refer to Satan's realm. But apart from the fact that hell and hell, both H-E-L and H-E-L-L, are both realms of the dead located beneath the ground, the two concepts have nothing in common. While the Old Norse source are far from clear on exactly how one ended up in one of the Old Norse afterlife realms rather than another, there were several. What is clear is that where one goes after death isn't any kind of reward for mortal behavior or pious belief or punishment for immoral behavior or impious belief. Now, we talked about that earlier. Furthermore, while the underworld isn't described often in the sources, when it is, it's general cast in neutral or even positive terms as a place where the dead live on in some capacity. It's sometimes portrayed as a land of startling, abundant life on the other side of death. The dead in hell spend their time doing the same kinds of things that Viking age men and women would have done or, you know, we're used to eating, drinking, fighting, sleeping, and so on and so forth, having a great time. It was not a place of eternal bliss or torment as much of it's simply um, continuation of life as we know it now. Of all the Old Norse sources, only one describes hell as a thoroughly unpleasant place, the prose edda of the 13th century Icelandic scholar Snorri Sturluson. But again, we go back to Snorri writing, um, being influenced by Christianity. His uh, downright comical over-the-top portrayal of hell is an excellent example of his tendencies of his, um, for Snorri, the plate of the goddess hell is called hunger, her servant slow, and lazy, or which is uh, Gangladi and Ganglot, 
the threesome of her door stumbling block fallen fareth her bed illness core and her curtain black misfortune uh, few scholars accept such descriptions as being um, authentic products of the Viking Age. Similarly, very comical is Snorri's assertion that those who die in battle go to Valhalla, um, the sublime hall of the god Odin, while those who die of sickness or age go to hell. Snorri himself blatantly contradicts his um, distinction between Valhalla and Hell in his version of the tale of the death of Baldur, Odin's son, who is killed violently, and we know this already. So how do we get to Hell? The road. The Old Norse sources describe an uncharacteristic detail. The course that one has to travel in order to reach Hell is even his name, or it even has a name that comes up repeatedly in Old Norse literature, Helvigr, the roadway to Hell. Given how close to the accounts of this course correspond to the narrative of traditionally shamanic journeys of other uh, circumpolar people, they seem to recount the possibility of providing templates for the journey of Norse shamans. Throughout the old Norse sources, we find instances of such journeys to hell undertaken by gods or humans in order to recover a dead spirit or obtain knowledge from the dead. The journey by the hero Hating from the Gasta Donorum history of the Danes by the medieval Danish historian Saxo Grammaticus is typical. Here is Old Norse scholar Turville Petrie app summary. While he was living with Ragnhild, Hating had another mysterious experience. A woman appeared bearing some herbs, wishing to know where such herbs grew in winter. Hating went with his, with this woman under the earth. They passed through mists and then through sunny, fertile regions where the herbs had grown. Then they came to a raging torrent flowing with weapons crossing by a bridge where they came upon armies of fallen warriors locked in eternal battle. As they pressed forward, a wall stood in their way. They could go no further, but the woman tore off the head of a cock, which she happened to have with her, and flung it over the wall. Immediately, the cock came to life and crowed. The chicken being thrown over the wall of the underworld, variously called Hengrinder, the fence of hell, Nagrinder, corpse fence, or Volgrinder, the fence of the fallen, is especially intriguing. Um, we haven't seen convincing explanations as to the meaning, but it seems to correspond to a Norse funeral custom. The Arab traveler Ibn Fedlan recorded a scene he witnessed where a Norse chief had died and a woman was about to be killed to accompany him, and she cut off a hen's head and threw it onto the ship, where her dead body would soon follow. Another typical account is the journey of Hermod to Hell, to attempt to retrieve Boulder, who had been killed by Loki. While the account comes exclusively from Snorri, it matches the other pieces of this genre of underworld journey narratives closely enough, both in its overall form and a small detail that we can be sure that Snorri relied on the older source or sources now lost to us. The relevant part of the story goes like this. The god Hermod departed from Asgard, the celestial stronghold of the gods, on Slipnir, the horse of Odin. He descended down the trunk of Yggdrasil, and great tree that forms the central axis of the cosmos. For nine nights he rode through deep valleys, so pitch black he could not see the way. And finally he came to a river, Joel, loud noise, meaning loud noise, which was spawned by a bridge named Jolber, a bridge over Joel, on the bridge stood a giantess, Mothgjörður, the furious battle. The guardian of the bridge wanted to know why Hermod wanted to cross, since he could tell, since she could tell from his appearance that he was not yet dead. His answer that he was going to look after Baldur was eventually satisfactory to the giantess, who let him cross, telling him that hell lay downwards and northwards neither or norther from the bridge when hermod arrived 
at the fence around hell. He jumped over it rather than going through the gate. He then made his way toward the hall of hell, the goddess, where he found Boulder sitting on the seat of honor. The common elements in Snorri and Saxo's accounts seem to be the following. Hell was located underground, down and to the north, the realm of cold and general lifelessness. It was reached by descending from a high point with the help of a guide, an unnamed dead woman in Hating's case, and slept near in the Prosetta and the poem Baldur's Drummer, Baldur's Dreams. In the poetic edda, after traveling through darkness and mist, the traveler would come to a river, perhaps a torrential river of water, but some common, commonly a river of clanging weapons. There was a bridge over the river that one had to cross. After a time, one would finally arrive at a wall surrounding hell. The dead presumably entered through the main gate, but those living beings who, for whatever reason, undertook the journey to hell seem to have thought it either impossible or unwise to enter through the gate, so they either found sneakier ways to cross into hell or turn back. So that's hell in a nutshell, quite um, in-depth, and I apologize for how long it was. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Folkvanger and some other places, so thanks for joining me, and I'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Joe at Modern Heathen Man. How are you all today? Hoping you're having a good and uh, great day. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys about this YouTube channel that I found called Midgard Musings. It's by a man named Jesse and it is incredible. He has new videos uploaded on the channel every Sunday night and he has a live Facebook stream every Sunday at 7 p.m. Um, Central Standard Time. Midgard Musings' goal is to help build heathen communities around the world with educational content and laid-back fun manner. He values the historical aspect of this path and uses it to help us grow and develop as heathens in modern times. So if you've been a heathen for a while or just brand new to it, definitely check it out. It's something worthwhile. If you'd like to support Midgard Musings by subscribing to youtube.com forward slash Midgard Musings, following on Facebook and purchasing merchandise from the Teespring and Redbubs, Redbubble stores. Redbubble, say that three times. All of which can be found on the YouTube channel video description. Midgard Musing also offers handmade driftwood rune sets for sale, and the purchase of these items help support the channel. Just to touch base on that a little bit, I actually own one of those rune sets. They are incredibly nice, good feel, wonderful stuff, good power within them. I'm telling you, worthwhile checking out. So please head on over to Midgard Musings, like and subscribe to the channel, and follow on Facebook and on YouTube at facebook.com slash Midgard Musings and youtube.com slash Midgard Musings. M-I-D-G-A-R-D-M-U-S-I-N-G-S. We'll find you that Midgard Musings. Thanks, guys, and have a great day. Hey, when I'm back, let's talk a little bit about Folkvanger. Okay, in Norse mythology, Folkvanger, field of the host or people field or army field, is a meadow of field ruled over by the goddess Freya, where half of those who die in combat go upon death, while the other half go to the god Odin in Valhalla. Folkvanger is attested in the Poetic Edda, compiled in the 13th century from earlier tradition sources of the Prose Edda, Written in the 13th century by Snorri Strolson, according to the Prosetta, within Folkvanger is Freya's Hall, Sesrumnir. Scholarly theories have been proposed about the implications of the location. In the poem Grimnismal, sorry, collected in the Poetic Edda, Odin disguises as Grimnir tells the younger Agnir that Freya allots seats to half of those who die in her hall, Folkvanger, while Odin receives the other half. Folkvanger is there anglicized to Folkvanger and Folkvang. Um, 
as I've said before, I believe that the uh, Prosetta is one of the best things that you can actually read to talk about our religion, but the Poetic Edda is, of course, the second. So Benjamin Thorpe's translation says, Folkvang is the ninth. There Freya directs the sitting in the hall. She half the fallen chooses each day, but Odin the other half. Henry Adams Bellows translation says the ninth is Folkvang, where Freya decrees who shall have seats in the hall. The half of the dead each day does she choose, and half doth Odin have. In chapter 24, the Prosetta book, Gilfil Gil Fagening, pardon me, High tells Ganglier, described as King Gilef in disguise, that Freya is the most glorious of the Isenur, that Freya has a dwelling in the heavens called Folkvanger, and that whenever she rides to battle, she gets half of the slain and the other half Odin. As it says here, the stanza above from Grim the Small is then quoted. High then continues with a description of Freya's hall, Sesramnir. Um, in Egil Saga, the Egil Saga, when Egil scholar Grimsman, Grimson refuses to eat, his daughter, um, I apologize, these are all really hardcore, Thorgurder, her anglicized as Thorgird, says she will go without food and thus starve to death and in doing so will meet the goddess Freya. Thurgood replies in a loud voice, I have had no evening meal, nor will I do so until I join Freya. I know no better course of action than my father's. I do not want to live after my father and brother are dead. Miri Nurstrom says that as a receiver of the dead, her, Freya's abode, is also open for women who have suffered a noble death. Nostrum cites the above passage from Eagle's Saga, Eagle's Saga, pardon me, as an example. The points to a potential additional connection to the saga Herver Saga, or Herthrex, where the queen hangs herself in the Hall of the Dis after discovering that her husband has betrayed both her father and brother. Nostrum comments that this disc could hardly be anyone but Freya herself. The natural leader of the collective family deity is called Desir, and the place of the queen's suicide seems thus to be connected with Freya. John Lindau says that if the folk element of Folkvanger is to be understood as army, then Folkvanger appears as an alternative to Valhalla, Lino adds that like Odin, Freya has an association with warriors and that she presides over the eternal combat of Hjarthingavig. Rudolf Simic theorizes that the name Folkvanger is surely not much older than um, Grimms and Small itself and adds that the Gilfagening description keeps close to the Grim this small description, yet that the Galfagening description adds that Susramnir is located within Folkvanger. According to Hilda Ellis Davidson, Valhalla is well known because it plays so large a part in imagining of warfare and death, yet the significance of other halls in Norse mythology, such as Yedler, where the god Ullr dwells, and Freya's Folkvanger have been lost. Yet another person, Britt Mary's Nastrum, places emphasis on Galfagening, relates that whenever she rides in the battle, she takes half of the slain and interprets Folkvanger as the field of warriors. Now, in another person, Nostrum, comments that Freya receives the slain heroes of the battlefield quite respectfully, as Odin does. Her house is called Sestramnir, filled with many seats, and is probably it probably fills the same function as Valhall, the Hall of the Slain, where the warriors eat and drink beer after fighting. Still, we must ask why there are two heroic paradises in the Old Norse view of afterlife, 
again, we go back to the idea that maybe Odin's is specifically for specialized units as opposed to Freya's being for everyday warriors. Siegfried Andrus Dobate comments that in her mythological role as the chooser of half of the fallen warriors for her death realm, Folkvanger, the goddess Freya, however, emerges as a mythological role model for the Valkyr and Disir. I'm going to be honest with you guys. You have, right there, you have seven people. I don't want to say arguing, but each with differing opinions as to what the hall even is, let alone where it is. Siegfried Andres Dobate comments that in her mythological role as the chooser of half the fallen warriors for her death realm, Folkvanger, the goddess Freya, however, emerges as a mythological role model for the Valkyrie and the Dysir. Stone ships and proto-Germanic afterlife locations in a 2012 paper, Joseph S. Hopkins and Hooker Thorgrisserson propose a connection between Folkvanger, Sresramnir, and numerous stone ships found throughout Scandinavia. According to Hopkins and Hooker, Folkvanger and Sresramnir together paint an image of a ship and a field which has broader implications and may connect Freya to the Isis of Saibi, or S-U-E-B-I, Suubi. Perhaps each source has preserved a part of the same truth, and Sesramnir was conceived as both a ship and an afterlife location. The Folkvanger, a ship in a field, is somewhat unexpected idea but it is strongly reminiscent of the stone ships in the Scandinavian burial sites. A ship in the field in the mythological realm may have been conceived as a reflection of the actual burial customs and vice versa. It's possible that symbolic ship was thought as a providing some sort of beneficial property to the land, such as good season and peace brought on by Freya's mound burial in Yinglinga Saga. Evidence involving ships in the pre-Christian period and from folklore may be similarly re-examined with this potential in mind. Um, Hopkins and Hooker additionally propose a connection between Folkvanger and the various other Germanic words referring to the afterlife that contain extensions of Proto-Germanic Wangas, including Old English Norxwang, N-E-O-R-X-N-A-W-A-N-G. Nyorksnwang, potentially pointing to an early Germanic Wangas of the dead. So we, we look at those, and this is where we uh, we have to really look at what's going on here. Early in the 20th century, Carl Ernst authors developed the Folkwanger Ganger or Folkwang concept that art of life can be reconciled. Several cultural institutions bearing the name Folkwang, the German spelling of Folkwanger, were found in this concept. This institution included the Museum of Folkwang in Easton in 1902, the publishing house Folkwang Verleg in 1919. Again, we use, we're using Folkwang for a lot of different places, including a Folkwang University of the Arts, focusing on music, theater, dance, and design, and academic studies. Um, the Nintendo franchise Fire Emblem Heroes, the main male lord Alphonse wields the weapon of Folkmanger. When we look at all these different aspects of um, what's actually going on, and we haven't even mentioned the really bad place yet. There's actually a really bad place, and I forgot what the name of it is. This is a place that people go that are really, really bad. Um, we haven't even really delved into what we even know of anymore because it's so sparse and so through the different parts that we can't even put together what it really is. So again, as I said before, this is one of the things I really love about being heathen or being a Satra is because I get to go to the gods myself and find out what it's all about. 
you know, and find out how it is or what it is and figure out what we can do to be, I don't want to say good people because it's not that way. What I want to say is this, is that it's really nice because I can go there and I can find the answers that are good for me. Like to me, it doesn't matter where I go in the end. I know I'm going someplace and how I treat my fellow man here is really important to me. And how I treat the people that I love here is really important to me. And the same concept is I, I don't care where I go, like I said, because I know the gods are going to look out for me. I know what's going to go on to some point that I'm going to go someplace else. Um, and we have to look at that and we have to understand that, um, you know, is this really that important where we go? You know, we're going to be around those we love no matter what, but the question is we're going to meet the, um, you know, the ancestors and everything. And I think we'll be happy there. I mean, the gods aren't going to let us be, you know, so unhappy that we're not going to honor them any longer. So we have to look at it that way. So death in the afterlife is not so important. I, you know, I hear so many times of people always talking about, oh, they're going to Valhalla, they're going to Valhalla, they're going to Valhalla. And they're talking about people that, you know, are older and have passed away in a bed. And, you know, is Valhalla really where you want to be? I think we need to really begin to study this and look at what it really is before we you know, decide that's where we want to be. So when I come back, I'll talk a little bit more about that. And I look forward to talking. And I'll talk to you in a moment. Joe here with Modern Heathen Man. I want to tell you guys about something really cool. I wanted to buy my wife something really nice. And one of the things I wanted to do is buy directly from a heathen shop or a heathen artisan. So I wanted to buy her something that she could use, that she would enjoy, something that she could relax with and really get into. And I found this great place called Red's Nightmare Bath Bombs. They're on Facebook under Red's Nightmare Bath Bombs. And they have a wonderful assortment of different bath bombs and different shapes and colors, from stars to hearts to ghosts to even little skeletons that my wife really likes. One of the best things they have is a bunch of different smells. They have a lemon or a lemonade, rose, sandalwood, lavender, peppermint, sweet orange, creamy nutmeg, coconut, green apple, Belize, which is they call dark beach, which is really good, blackberry amber, sweet honeysuckle, pineapple, and many, many more, not to mention a assortment of colors. So if you'd like to get some bath bombs, go ahead and check them out at Red's Nightmare Bath Bombs, or you can actually go ahead and email her at RedsNightmare29 at gmail.com, R-E-D-S-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E-29 at gmail.com. So go ahead and check them out. Thanks, guys, and have a great day. Hey, everyone, I'm back, and I want to thank you for joining me. We're talking about afterlife and the Norse um, ideals. Uh, one of the things I wanted to touch a little bit on was the bad place that Snorri talks about. Um, there's one late old Norse poem that mentions the place of punishment after death, Nastrond. Old Norse, Nastrondr, shore of corpses. Its gates face north, poison drips from its ceiling and snakes, coil on its floor, Snorri cites this poem in his work too, but the poem in question, the Volspa, is rife with Christian influences that I mentioned before. So, as I was saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it this way and sound like I'm being callous, but I don't really care where I go when I die. I don't really care to um, pander to the idea that I'm getting some great reward, you know, when I die. The idea that I've done better than somebody else and deserve something better than somebody else, in my mind, is not good. You know, we all live our lives and we all do the things we have to do. And I believe that, personally, you know, how we treat others is how we're going to be treated. I mean, there's so many belief systems out there that, you know, basically say the same thing. You know, treat everybody nice, treat everybody nice, treat everybody nice. 
you know, if, if we look at the, the gods as our parents or we look at, you know, the Christian idea of God as our parent, why would our parent punish us if we continually go through life and treat people respectfully, treat people with honor, treat people with respect and do the things that we're supposed to do to make sure that our fellow man is taken care of? I can't see that happening. I can't see the gods treating us meanly because we we may have made a mistake here or made a mistake there and not done one little piece here, one little piece there. You know, we have our ancestors. We can call upon them. We know that they answer us. You know, we know the gods answer us because when we meditate upon them, they're there. They give us the answers we need and they help us through the days. We know the norms are there when we do our readings from our runes and do rune castings and so on and so forth. So the question you have to ask yourself, is it really that important to know what goes on after? Now, as humans, we all want to know, you know, a little bit about what's coming next and what, what we can expect, what we can look forward to, or we can, you know, not look forward to, if you will. But I believe that most of us, for the most part, are, you know, good people, especially really good heathens are good people. We believe in, you know, keeping our word, not breaking our oaths. Heathens helping heathens, and some of the most generous people in the world that I've met are heathens, you know, above that of Christians and, you know, other religions that talk about generosity and doing for others and so on and so forth. We don't have those edicts and we do it no matter what. I was talking to a friend of mine just yesterday and was reiterating the idea that we don't have a devil, you know, so we are responsible for what we do. We can't blame somebody else for the actions that we commit. It's us, us alone. We did it, and we have to take responsibility for it. We have to make amends for it. We have to do the things that we need to do to, you know, make those things right with those people. Not because we get some crazy reward for doing so. Not because, you know, we're going to walk on streets made of gold or anything else like that. And I'm not downplaying what Christians believe. I'm just saying we don't do it with the end goal inside of that you know so what if we go to hell h-e-l and we have to become a farmer um if our bodies are good like we believe they'll be and our spirits are good we'll be able to farm easily we'll be able to do the things we do and if we can eat drink and be merry and have a good time while doing it and make it just like life but better why not you know that that's our that's our bid and we can keep doing that we can keep being those people and continue to do those things and have a good time while we're doing so. And the best part about that all is that we'll be around those people we know. If we're warriors, we most we mainly know warriors. We go one of two places where those warriors go. If we die at sea, we have those people around us that we, you know, are comrades with who we've been at sea many times with. And if we die there, we, we get to go hang out with them and, you know, in their place. And, all those things sound really great, and, and as much as they don't sound like a reward, they really are. I mean, because we get to be around those that we are most akin to and you know, we see eye to eye with and that we have a chance to be – picture your football buddies all getting together for eternity. You know, that's, that's the way you look at it. And it'll be great. I mean, we'll all be having, you know, food, making a little bacon-wrapped uh, – jalapenos with cream cheese inside every day and eating that and then really enjoying ourselves. So, yeah, that, that's something to kind of look forward to. As we learned in that, in those writings that I did that, you know, not even the scholars can identify or have a solid idea of what the afterlife is. So for you and me, just that we know that there's an afterlife we know how Valhalla works now, that half go to one place, half go to Falkvanger, and then there's a couple other places that you can go to. You know, it eases us a little bit in the idea of what's coming. So, to you I all say hail for being there for each other. Hail to you for when learn and be a better heathen. Hail to the gods. Hail to hell. Hail to Odin. Hail to those in the afterlife. Hail the Einherjar who are going to be celebrated tomorrow, and hail to anybody who hears this and wants to do more research on it and learn more about it, 
because that's that's where we are as heathens, where we have to learn um, our religion. That's great. So I want to say that to you guys. I want to thank you guys for joining me for this installment of Modern Heathen Man. Um, thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Uh, I've enjoyed it. So I also i am going to put the promos on here again for the different heathen businesses. I want you guys to check them out if you get a chance, especially with Chris, Christmas. My goodness, I am so sorry. With Yule coming up, um, I want us to, to me, Christmas and Yule are the same thing. We'll go over that soon. But um, with that coming up, we want to give out some gifts and stuff like that. So um, let's check out those heathen businesses for them first before we go to other places to get stuff. So I appreciate your time and tell you all to have a wonderful day, a great Sunni day, Sunni dogger. And thank you so much for joining me. Bye-bye.